You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. All of our cast of characters, only Mephibosheth, the Mephibosheths of this world, can overcome this, who triumph over the iniquities of life, all of the injustices, by humility, and not insisting upon their own rights, and simply just place themselves in the hands of God, trusting Him. Listen, gang, that's how we heal wounds and reconcile with others. How do you heal wounds and reconcile with others? Today, you learn from Pastor Mike's message about what it takes to create reconciliation. Healing and reconciliation is not met by arrogance and pride. However, the path to these goals are met by humility. Humility is recognizing one's own shortcomings and potential contribution to the unrest. Pastor Mike encourages you that when you come from a place of humility, it will be much easier to pursue reconciliation. Let the Lord help you to be humble. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 19 as he continues his message, Healing Wounds and Reconciliation. Next, we have the record of two conversations that are recorded for us between David and this fellow, Shimei, who was a loyal supporter of King Saul. And also, the second conversation is between David and Mephibosheth. And remember, Mephibosheth is Saul's grandson. Actually, he is Jonathan's son. And remember, uh, David, the oath that he had swore to his good friend Jonathan before he perished in one of the uh, battles that he would do right by any of the members of his surviving household. And the only one that remained at that time was Mephibosheth. Remember, Mephibosheth, when he was fleeing the city of Jerusalem, uh, fell and he had become lame. Do you remember that? In one of our previous studies, we talked about that. Well, anyway, David took Mephibosheth as his own son, and he brought him into the uh, palace, and he treated him as one of his own children, and he ate at the king's table. So keep that in mind. But both of these individuals, Shimei as well as Mephibosheth, illustrate the submission of the descendants of Saul to David's authority. Now, why is this so significant? Well, Let's go back to these two conversations. Let's check, let's check out the words that they spoke to one another. First of all, uh, Shimei. 
And remember, Shimei had good cause to fear. Remember, when we were first introduced to this fellow, when David and his company was fleeing Jerusalem uh, because of Absalom was on his way to do battle and to kill his father, David, this fellow Shimei, as David and his company was fleeing Jerusalem, met him on the way, and he was cursing David. Do you remember that? And he was throwing rocks at David and his uh, company when he was on his way into exile. But now, all of a sudden, he comes pleading for his life. Okay, let's go back to our text. The latter part of verse 18 and 19. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. So what's going on here? Shimei is pleading for his life. Now, at the omission of his guilt, Abiashai, one of also David's generals, wants to make good his previous offer and send him to join his ancestors. Remember, when they were on their way out of the city of Jerusalem, and this guy's cursing David and throwing rocks at him, this fellow Abiashai comes alongside of David and says, who is this guy that's cursing the king? Let me go draw my sword and lop off his head. But remember, David wouldn't have any of that. And so anyway, once again, he suggests that he does that. But notice there in verse 21, But Abiashai, the son of Zariah, and answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. But notice here, according to verse 22, David restrains him from doing that. Verse 22, and David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? So David's not going to hold any grudge against this fellow uh, Shimei. David's words are designed to show that the spirit of the occasion does not call for a bloodshed or getting uh, even. Amnesty is to be given to all who acknowledge his right to rule God's people. Notice again there in verse 22, the latter part of verse 22. Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Now, in verse 23, while Shimei is still bowing before David, David takes an oath. Let's read that in verse 23. Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. Okay, so that's the first conversation. The second conversation is between David and Mephibosheth. It's recorded for us in verses 24 and 25. Let's go ahead and read that. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, rather he's the son of Jonathan, uh, more accurately the grandson of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed, that is from the city of Jerusalem, until the day he returned in peace. So this was emblems of Mephibosheth mourning over what was taking place in David's life. And so it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king 
that the king said to him, now there's, now there's this question, and this is the question that David puts to Mephibosheth, why did you not go out with me, Mephibosheth? I mean, after all, I've done for you. Why did you not ally yourself with me and be a part of that company that went with me out of the city of Jerusalem? Now notice here, Mephibosheth's appearance is evidence of his mourning. And David sees the signs of mourning, but he can't reconcile it with the words of Ziba. And remember Ziba, back in chapter 16 in verse 3, was suggesting that Mephibosheth, and this was the reason why Mephibosheth uh, didn't travel along with David when he went into exile, leaving the city of Jerusalem, he suggested, Ziba met him though, but Mephibosheth wasn't there uh, with him at that time, and Ziba suggested falsely that Mephibosheth was disloyal to David, that he had aspirations to be king in David's place, that he saw this as just a great opportunity for him to ascend to the throne as Saul's, you know, next, in, actually the only king that was still left, and so therefore he would have ascended to being the next king over Israel. And so David asked this question, but notice the way that Mephibosheth responds. Verses 26 and 28. And he answered, he's answering David now, why he didn't align himself with him when he was fleeing the city of Jerusalem. He says, my Lord, O king, my servant, referring to Ziba and this falsehood that he had told him, he deceived me. For your servant said, Ziba, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. He told an untruth about me. But my lord, the king, is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. In other words, and again, going back to this whole, what this message is all about, resolving conflicts, healing for broken relationships. Notice, he just, again, throws himself upon the mercy of uh, David. And he says, therefore, do what is good for your eyes. He's not defending himself. Verse 28, for all my father's house were but dead men before my Lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. So Mephibosheth became like a son to David. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? So that was his response to David's question. As often happens, you know, just something else that I want to draw your attention to, and I found this to be extremely difficult, and this is one of the difficult things about resolving conflicts. You know, many times I'm asked to serve as a mediator between people who are experiencing this sort of thing, you know, whether it's a broken relationship between, you know, members of our congregation or a broken relationship in a marriage relationship or whatever, there are always two sides to the story. You know, who do you believe, right? You got to hear them out. But this is, this is something that's extremely difficult in trying to resolve conflicts and serving as a mediator. So as often happens, when one is trying to settle differences, you're caught between two people, each with a different story. And you're trying to figure out, you know, who's at fault? Who is true? Who is false? You know, this fellow Ziba, who told this falsehood concerning Mephibosheth, was he actually a friend 
of David's, or was he just an opportunist? Remember, because when Ziba brought the news back to David concerning Mephibosheth's betrayal, he gave the land that was given to Mephibosheth to Ziba in his place. Do you remember that? So was, was Ziba just truly a friend of David's, or was he an opportunist? Well, anyway, David responds impatiently. I guess he really didn't know what to do. And in verse 29, notice, so the king, after Mephibosheth pleads his case, so the king said to him, why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. So he does not ask, notice here, Mephibosheth does not ask for more. He doesn't ask that the land that had been given to Ziba be given back to him once again. He doesn't suggest David's judgment was unfair. And you know, one writer commenting on this said, and I quote, uh, David's decision sounds just. In other words, they're going to share in the, uh, the land. Uh, David's decision sounds just, but in fact, it unjustly favors Ziba, who had obtained the property by deception. And it deprives Mephibosheth who because of his disability deserved to be defended against those who would take advantage of him of half his estate. The one who comes out of this incident unscathed is the crippled Mephibosheth, who rises above financial considerations and takes genuine pleasure in the return of his lord and the king in safety. And the writer goes on to declare, it is sad to see David's grudging response to the genuine warmth of Mephibosheth, who has himself suffered and who understands what the king has had to endure. Well, here again is the practical lesson uh, to be learned from this uh, work of, concerning this work of reconciliation. And what is that? Reconciliation is hard. And there's always guys like Ziba who conceal their true motives behind benevolent acts and high-sounding phrases. That ability to exploit a situation so they might come out ahead. So reconciliation, gang, can really be tricky stuff. Now, the closing scene of this chapter centers on this fellow we're introduced to, a fellow whose name is bar Zeli, David's wealthy benefactor who contributed to the support of David, David's family and company when they made their home in Mananaim. And remember, Mananaim was the city of refuge that David and his company fled to when they had left Jerusalem. And it was from there that Joab and David's mighty men went out to battle against Absalom and his uh, troops. And his reputation, this fellow... Uh, he had a reputation for being extremely kind. He was a very wealthy individual. Okay, let's pick up now in verses 31 through 39. And Barzillai, the Gileite, came down from Rogaland and went across the Jordan with the king, David, to escort him across the Jordan. Now, Barzillai was a very aged man. So he was a senior citizen. 80 years old, and he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mananaim. Notice there we are told that in the 
the text. And so he was a very rich man. And the king said to Barzillai, to the king, how long have I to live that I should go up with the king to uh, Jerusalem? I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and the bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan to escort the king. And why should the king repay me with such a reward? So in other words, he's not looking for any compensation. He's just, he's just doing this out of the goodness of his, his heart. He doesn't want to minimize the honor that David was trying to bestow upon him. But notice he has this one request. Please let your servant turn back again, that I may die in my own city, near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, Shimham, And that, by the way, was his son. Let him cross over with my lord the king and do for him what seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now whatever you request of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan and when the king had crossed over, the king kissed this fellow, uh, Barzillam, and went on with him, and all the people of Judah escorted the king, also half the people of Israel. Now, so this fellow Barzillai has no interest in compensation for his expenses. He and David shared something far more precious than money or the promise of a position in David's kingdom. And what was that? Just simply the friendship that they shared with one Another. And then finally, verses 40 through 43. I've already read verses 40. Well, let me read it again. Now the king went to Gilgal, and Chimim went on with him, and all the people of Judah escorted the king, and also half the people of Israel. Just then all of the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away? All of a sudden now another conflict arises. The men of Judah stolen you away. This was the indictment that they brought against the tribe of Judah and Benjamin and brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan. So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel because the king is a close relative of ours. What then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense or has he given us any gift? In other words, they're suggesting, have we ever taken advantage of David just simply because David is of the same tribe as ours, the tribe of Judah? And by the way, the southern kingdom uh, was made up of two tribes, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. So at this time, remember, Judah and Benjamin are escorting David crossing over the Jordan River. So the other ten tribes arrive at the same time when David is crossing the river, and they didn't play any part in it, and now they're offended by that. So all of a sudden now there's this another huge conflict that's taking place. Well, verse 43, finally we read there, And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the king. Remember, ten 
tribes made up the kingdom of Israel. There were 12 tribes in all, the 10 tribes, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and said, we have 10 shares in the king. Therefore, we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Remember, now they're suggesting you guys were dragging your feet. You were the last ones to agree to bring David back to the kingdom. Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Okay, (laughs) here we go again. Folks, what do we take away from this? Pride, arrogance, leads to the breakdown of unity. All of Israel should have been unified at this time. And as passions flared, so did the rhetoric. Notice there in verse 43, uh, Israel says, the ten tribes, we have ten parts of him, as if he had been dismembered or something, David, right? And then Judah responded by saying here, notice the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, verse 42, the king is near of kin to us. And that was their explanation. They made their appeal based upon family ties. Listen, pride and inordinate and unreasonable emphasis upon self manifests itself in insolence and rude treatment of others. It often attempts to appear in a superior light or endeavors to gain some advantage over others because of some relationship, skill, or belief. Okay, so as we close out this morning's message, let me leave you uh, with this one final truth. And I would like to take you back to Mephibosheth and his response to David's question. Listen, in all of our cast of characters, only Mephibosheth, the Mephibosheths of this world, can overcome this, who triumph over the iniquities of life, all of the injustices, by humility and not insisting upon their own rights, and simply just place themselves in the hands of God, trusting Him. Listen, gang, that's how we heal wounds and reconcile with others. But remember, once again, let me remind you, more than anything else, what this morning's message was all about, all of the calamity, all of the confusion, all of the chaos on the part of Israel was because they had the wrong king ruling and reigning over them. And who was that king? It was Absalom. Listen, make sure that you have the right king, God's king, the king of kings, ruling over you. Unless you find yourself also in chaos, confusion, and calamity. In my father's house There's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be. In the book of 2 Samuel, the King God anointed is finally on the throne. King David, the man after God's heart, is in the place God planned for him. Yet David is still human. And as you continue to study this book with Pastor Mike, You'll see that fact time and time again. David falls to the temptation of sin and reaps the consequences of his actions. But he does do one thing consistently. 
David repents when confronted and returns to the Lord. What an example of faithfulness and mercy. God forgives his chosen leader and restores the relationship that sin had broken. This same God is merciful to you, too, and his forgiveness is just as real when you come to him in repentance. Thanks for listening today to In My Father's House. You can explore more of these messages by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll find directions and service times at harvestnyc.org. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? If you feel led, we're thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thanks for partnering with us in this way. That's all for today. Tune in next time for more on In My Father's House.